This morning's scripture is Psalm 13. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. The word of our Lord. Good morning, church. Whether you are a regular attender here or this is your first Sunday, you are in for a treat. I am pleased to be able to introduce our guest preacher this morning. His name is Mike Thomas. Mike and his wife, Kimberly, have been married since 2000. They have four children, some of them here with us. We're glad to welcome them. Mike is uh, a native of Chicago. Uh, Yeah, okay. (laughs) And he uh, was following God, called to follow God during his teen years, went to North Park, University and got a degree in church and ministry management and then his degree from North Park Theological Seminary in Chicago. You're going to hear Mike's passion for the gospel as he preaches this morning, but I am just thrilled to be able to tell you that he is a um, fellow covenant pastor and serves in a church plant in Renton, Washington, Radiant Church. They are almost two years old and have been, God has been blessing them with the spirit moving among them. Um, and we have been privileged to have Mike preach here before and be part of some of our forums. And we are delighted, Mike, to have you here to preach with us, to have your family here with us. Um, I, I know God's going to speak with, with us through you. So join me in welcoming and giving a kind uh, like welcome. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. Amen. 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 That uh, clap was great for me. Uh, can we, though, just give Jesus the greatest round of applause? <laughs> Woo-hoo! Amen. Come on. Let's do it like the Seahawks won the Super Bowl already, right? Woo! We love our Lord and our Savior, and uh, it is such a joy. Uh, to be with you this morning. I am super excited uh, to be here. As uh, Sharon mentioned, yeah, I am from Chicago. Uh, As I told the last group, that literally means I'm scared of nobody. (laughs) Amen. And uh, (laughs) yeah, my wife and I, uh, our church uh, will be uh, two years old in terms of meeting weekly on Sundays this coming September. And uh, also in September, uh, my wife and I will celebrate 16 years of marriage. And the miracle is, amen, and the miracle is she still likes me. Yeah, that's a miracle, amen. And so, uh, but we're just super grateful uh, to be with you all, and I am excited. I just want to dive right on in. I'm kind of just going to weave my story in 
uh, through this message uh, that I believe God has given us. But what I do want to first say uh, at the precipice of our time today is just to share uh, my indescribable gratitude to Pine Lake Covenant Church. Uh, I don't know if any of you, uh, for those of, for those of you who are true Washingtonians, you're born and raised here. Um, you may not, uh, appreciate this. You will, but you know, but for anybody who has moved cross country or moved somewhere, uh, and in our particular case, uh, both my wife and I, all of our family is in Chicago, both my wife's family, my family, uh, is where we were born and raised and, uh, to follow God. Amen. Thank you. Uh, for us to follow God and uproot and to take away their grandchildren, you know, that was hard, right? They, they wasn't trying to feel God and none of this stuff. <laughs> we took their grandbabies away. But, uh, but to move, you all, was very scary. Uh, and to be in uncharted waters. And from day one, uh, Pine Lake has, in my opinion, been a part of our journey and our narrative. It started, uh, I uh, saw one of the some of the small group that's kind of covered our family uh, since we've been here. Uh, Pastor Mark and Pastor Sharon has just loved on us so much. Uh, but you all have not only prayed for us, supported us, encouraged us, but you also have practically and tangibly uh, financially supported our church. And because uh, I'm convinced every baby needs parents and a community to grow up. Amen. And so I just want to encourage you uh, to please continue. Uh, uh, Pine Lake is good and fertile ground to sow in. I am a living witness. I am literally the fruit of your generosity of, of seeing the gospel being spread and renting. And we get to proudly boast of, of bringing back a covenant church and renting. Amen. And so uh, God is just doing great things. And you'll hear more about that. But I just want to just thank you from the bottom of our hearts. I'm super excited because I have been on vacation for two weeks. <laughs> Amen. That's why I'm smiling. I'm not tired. I'm bright eyed and bushy tailed. We just got back from Orcas Island. Amen. And I did not want to leave. My sons did not want to leave. It was so great. Uh, I had some ice cream so good it tastes like Jesus made it. It was so <laughs> great. I mean, island living is just where it's at. And so uh, we just had a good time. I'm technically on vacation till Tuesday, so don't tell nobody at Radiant. Amen. Uh, but I am just excited. So pray for me, because whenever a preacher doesn't preach for two weeks, amen, uh, you pray we end on time. Amen. I got a lot to say. Just joking. Not. Uh, no, we did good. I got, out, I got us out on time last group, so. I don't know. We'll, we'll see what God does, but I will be good. So you'll invite me back again. Uh, but I am just really, really, really excited. Uh, there's a scripture. Uh, there's a verse. I just want to highlight uh, verse three in the 13th Psalm again that will kind of set the tone for our time today. Uh, verse three, it says, look on me and answer, O Lord, my God, give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death um, for our time today. Is this, uh, am I doing it right? Am I doing it right? There we go. Okay. For our time today, I want to talk from the subject, take another look. Take another look. Would you please pray with me? Gracious God, um, we thank you for this moment and this opportunity that we get to look into your word and glean life and glean direction. 
You said uh, in the Gospels that humanity does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so, Lord God, would you be our manna today? Would you speak life into us? Would you remove all of my flesh and stand in this broken vessel for the sake of these your great people, that we may not only be hearers, but doers of your word? And we pray all of this in Jesus name. And the church said, amen. Amen. Yeah. Take another look. And so um, as we think about this text and as we look at the landscape of our lives, can I just be honest? And I shared this earlier and I'll just be honest with you. I'm just kind of the kind of preacher that talks like we've known each other for 20 years so, so don't be afraid by my transparency or my vulnerability. That's kind of the interesting quirks between me and my wife. Like I'm the, I'm the kid that comes home and says, meet my best friend. What's your name again? <laughs> That's me. And, and my wife is like working for the CIA, right? She doesn't tell you anything. You have to earn that space. So, but I, but you know, I try to, I try to, you know, I'm just, I just wear my feelings on my sleeve and um, if I could just be honest with you, as we look at our country, it's been a rough season. It's been a, been a rough couple of months, really year, uh, as we look at the reality of the racial tensions in our country, uh, even as it was said earlier, the political climate just kind of encapsulates uh, the disparaging uh, polarization that we find our country in. And so um, I'm really encouraged. I was so grateful when Pastor Mark asked me to come and share as you guys have been going through the Psalms and he gave me the freedom to pick my Psalm and, and the Lord just put the 13th Psalm on my heart. So uh, I do want to apologize uh, if I've kind of gotten you guys off kilter a little bit. I don't know what order you've been in, but I believe the Lord has a word for us today. As we, as we think about this topic of take Another look. I want to start off, like I said, from Chicago. And uh, when I was in seminary earning my Master's of Divinity, I actually uh, did that degree. Uh, along with uh, Sharon's daughter, uh, Britta, and uh, we were all classmates in the same year, and we were attending this church, uh, was kind of taking a break. I had been in preaching ministry in Chicago for over a decade and just kind of took the Lord's leading uh, to step away from that focus uh, exclusively on seminary, and we were attending this church, and I was preaching, and uh, the dress code was a little different. Amen. In Chicago, it wasn't the Pacific Northwest. You would have to be suited and booted, as we would say uh, back in the day. And uh, I'll never forget, I was getting my clothes together and I had my black uh, preaching jacket. Amen. And, and I was looking for my matching black pants and uh, I put on my pants and I got outside and what I thought was black uh, was not black. And uh, only when I got in the sun, I saw my pants were super blue uh, and I was not looking good. And then I just prayed that the church would be mature and it would look beyond my faults. Amen. And uh, see my heart. And what's interesting is amazing how one's perspective can change for the better when I see that situation in light of the sun. Wasn't until I got into the sun that I actually saw what I was dealing with. And it changed my perspective. 
And I think it's interesting as we think about this passage of scripture and this title, take another look, how amazing our perspectives can change no matter what situation or season we need. We seem to be facing in our lives when we see that situation in light of the sun, not the S-U-N, but the S-O-N. Because some season or situations, if we could just be honest this morning, can have a way of knocking the life out of us or cause us a sense of deep pain and feelings of utter hopelessness. Now, I say I told you I'm just going to be honest. So I just want to encourage you to feel to me. It's just us. Nobody else is going to know. We could just kind of keep it between us. Amen. Has anybody here ever felt like that or been in seasons where you felt utter despair or hopelessness or pain? It may have been an unemployment season that you did not see coming. It could be a health situation. Others. Uh, there's a, a, a lovely couple in our church uh, that is on the precipice of retirement. And uh, earlier this year, all you would hear them talk about and will show us pictures of the RV they're going to get and the trips that they're going to take. And they're going to round up the grandbabies and go to Yosemite and all of these other amazing places. Now I find myself providing pastoral care as uh, they found out the husband has been diagnosed with advanced early onset dementia plans out of the window. And this woman is now living the embodiment of what those vow means in sickness or in health. We all face seasons where we find ourselves utterly hopeless. For those of us others, it could be a family or personal crisis. We continue to see acts of terrorism, whether it's in Orlando or Nice continuing to plague our globe. And even right here, we don't even have to go overseas. Right here on our own domestic soil, we continue to find ourselves in the current tensions in our own country, exposing a long history of racial division. The other day, I mean, the, the, the things that are going on in our country are so prevalent. Even, uh, even safe shows like the Jimmy Fallon show cannot... <laughs> hide from these issues. He recently had Will Smith on his show and he had to ask him, he asked him this question, do you think the word is, whether you look at social media or just around the world, uh, do you agree that racial tensions are worse than they've ever been? And I love Will Smith's answer. Will Smith said, I don't think that they're worse. I just think that they're now televised. Kind of let that sink in because we do have this proclivity in America that out of sight, out of mind. If I don't see it, if it's not in front of my face, this country has an immaculate tendency to sweep its issues under the rug and to pretend that they don't exist. But we're not in those seasons and some of us are deeply overwhelmed. And so this is one of the reasons why I absolutely love the Psalms. Because the Psalms, I believe, give us the right expectations of the Christian life. Now, let me be honest with you. I grew up in church. I had the kind of grandmother that was you could categorize her as old school. If you look up the word old school, you will see a picture of my late granny just kind of like there. Right. She was old school. And what I mean by old school was if you lived in Sally Mae Tolfrey's house. 
There was no debating about going to church on Sunday. If you wanted to eat, if you wanted to have shelter and experience heat, and, and heat is a big deal in Chicago, amen. If you wanted to breathe, you spent all day in church on Sunday. Amen. So I grew up in church and I grew up around people that would, when you said how you're doing, they would say things like I'm blessed and highly favored. Praise the Lord. Everybody was smiling. Everybody brushed their teeth. The rhinestones was out. People was wearing their Sunday best and it was wonderful. And I love that. But here's the other side of that coin. And the reason why I bring that up, if we could be honest, there are some days you don't feel blessed and highly favored. There are some days where you're just struggling. And this is what I love about the Bible and particularly the Psalms. Ironically, they were written as if they didn't expect nobody else to read it because it was brutally honest. There are Psalms like the one we read today that is full of lament and praise, which lets us know in this Christian life, there are going to be ups and there are going to be downs. One of my favorite passages of scripture is Jesus speaking in John 16 and 30 says, listen, no, in this world, you are going to have trouble. He doesn't say you may. He doesn't say you may. He said it's not a matter of if it is a matter of when you are going to have trouble in this world. And I love following the kind of Jesus that doesn't sell us a bag of false goods. Right. He doesn't tell us following me means everything is going to be peaches and cream, that it's going to be straight, that we're just going to have these kumbaya moments and everything is wonderful. No, sin is in the world. And if you're in it, it's broken. And you're going to have pain. But he says, be of good cheer, for I have already overcome. And what that should let us know, what Jesus is saying is following me doesn't mean that you're exempt from trouble. But what it does give you is the assurance that when you go through it, I will not forsake you. That I will be there with you. Hallelujah. And so this psalm gives us the right expectations of the Christian life. Uh, Dr. James Lindbergh, in his commentary simply called the Psalms, I just want to put this up uh, for you to see. In his commentary on the Psalms, it says this. Our lives are made up of both happiness and tears. And the writers of this book include uh, Psalms of both praise and lament. It may well be that the greatest contribution the Psalms can make to our own lives will be to help us through those times of tragedy and tears. Am I right about that? Is that not the truth? That it lets us know it's full of both good and bad times. And this is why it is critical that when facing rough seasons and tough situations, that we must see them in light of the right perspective, that we need to take another look at what we are facing. I love the transparency of the Bible because it lets us know that there will be seasons where you're like, praise the Lord. I'm blessed and I'm highly favored. And then there are going to be seasons where you like David are going to be like, God, where are you? What is happening? Why am I going through this? And so here's here's what's going on in the 13th Psalm. It's written by King David, and he's reflecting on a time in his life before he was king. So here it is. He's in his, you know, kingship. He's at the height of his kingship and he's having one of those reflective moments. You ever been there? You ever been in a good place and you just start reflecting over your life and the things that you've been through? And so this is where David writes this 13th Psalm. He's already the king, but it reflects a time in his life when he was not king. 
If you don't know, David is the second king in Israel's history. The first king was Saul. The people picked him. God said, "Ah, that may not be a good choice, but okay, whatever. So they picked Saul. They had Saul. Saul proves God right and who's not the right one. God says, okay, I'm done with this king. He talks to the prophet, says, I'm through with Saul. I already got uh, my successor. And so the prophet's like, great, who is it? He says, go to Jesse's house as one of his sons. And he goes to Jesse's house and Jesse brings out all of his sons except for David. Now, here's what's crazy. Jesse so believed David was not the one. He doesn't even call him in. He's the youngest. He's tender. He doesn't even bring him in. But we know the story. Uh, Samuel doesn't uh, leave until David comes. He anoints him as king. He sends him back to the sheep pen. And then uh, David fights Goliath. He gets favor with the king, Saul. Uh, and then that starts this love-hate relationship between David and Saul. Uh, if you know, David is also a masterful worship leader. And there were times in the Bible where the Bible says that Saul would have evil spirits tormenting him. And, and David would play his harp. And the Bible says the spirits will leave him. How many of y'all know that's the power of good worship? When I can have a tormenting spirit and through singing, worshiping the king, those spirits can leave us. That's why we love worship. Amen. And so David does this and Saul just kind of has this love, hate relationship with him. But as soon as he loves him, he finds a reason to get jealous of David. David is blowing up, as they say, in the kingdom. He's a warrior. Then the, uh, the cheerleaders for the nation of Israel, every time they would come home, they would say, Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. Now, imagine if you was the king and you heard that. Saul started eating hate sandwiches, drinking haterade, not gatorade, driving a hate mobile, living in hate wood estates. He was hating on David. It was tricky. It is in the 13th Psalm family that we see the height of Saul's jealousy towards David because David is now literally hiding in a cave in the desert while the king and all of his men literally have him surrounded and they are drawing in closer to David. How many of y'all know that is an anxiety filled situation? So I just wanted to paint that picture because this is the heartbeat behind Psalm 13. And I think a lot of times we read scriptures and they sound poetic, but we never get the heart of what's really happening here. This is not a good time for David. This is utter despair. Now, let me just ask us something. It's one thing to have one problem, right? We could kind of, you know, work and, and survive when we got one issue. You know, I mean, let's be honest. We always, there's always at least one thing, right? But has anybody ever been in a situation that literally surrounded you? That everywhere you looked, it was drama. It was a problem. This is where we find David. He's a believer that finds himself in a rough season and a tough situation. But here's what's great about David. In the midst of his dilemma, is that he doesn't go to others. He goes to God directly. Can I ask us something this morning? When you find yourself in a problem, who do you turn to? Do you turn to others? Do we turn to the bar? (laughs) 
Where do we go? I love that at least David, in the midst of this craziness, he goes to God and he is honest with God about how he sees the situation. He doesn't give God the spiritual fluff. He's just basically like, how long, God, must I put up with this? Where are you, right? It's the same thing we saw from the disciples in Mark chapter 4, verse 38. You may know the story. The disciples are in a storm, and Jesus is asleep at the bottom of the ship. And the disciples don't come to Jesus saying, praise you, heavenly Father, the maker of heaven and earth. Uh, We just love you, and we thank God for you. Even in this craziness, we just worship you. They don't do that. They're like, Jesus, wake up. Don't you care that we're about to die? Here's what I love about that honesty that speaks to an authentic relationship. Because when me and my wife fight, we don't say, oh, great, Kim. God bless you. You know, I just don't like when you eat the last cookie. And you know I wanted it. Praise the Lord. We'd be like, carest thou not? My stomach is perishing. (laughs) Real relationship doesn't require fluff. It's honest. It's transparent. It's real. And David shows us this is, he validates to me more than any other place in the Bible that he truly is a man after God's own heart because his relationship is so intimate with God that he can even bring his stress to God that he could bring his frustrations. And so here's our question, family. Do we allow the season or situation to overwhelm us or do we rise above it? I think what's most critical here is to not let any situation convince us that God is not with us. As we dissect this song, we see four elements to this song um, that reflects an authentic relationship to God. There's the lament or the complaint, which is the whole how long narrative. Then there's a call for help. Look on me, God, and give light to my eyes. The third element is the affirmation of trust. He says, but I will trust in you. And then a vow of praise I will sing. This psalm is uh, also uh, comprised of six verses, only six verses that are broken up in three parts. The first two verses start, like I said, with lament and complaining, right? David is upset. It is not looking good. But did anybody notice the sharp difference in the last two verses? They're filled with praise and peace of mind. Now, I don't know about you, but I like to ask questions of the text. How did he go just in the first two verses from saying, God, where are you? How long must I suffer? How long must I go through this? How does he just in four short verses get to a place of I'll bless you and I'll praise you? I'm not saying that that's not a good thing, but is anybody in me just curious? Like, how did he go from this pain to praise? And I believe the answer is found in those two middle verses. I'm convinced that what took David from complaining about the situation to praising in the midst of the situation was in those middle two verses where David was able to take another look at his situation when he asked God to give light unto my eyes. Can you shout amen? And so... um, The first thing I want us to see is that we need to reach uh, for God. I don't know. Is this? It's not. There we go. 
We need to reach for God. We need to reach for God. In order for David to rise above the situation, he had to reach for God. I think it's interesting that the same person he complains to is also the only source for his solution. It's God. This whole how long narrative is repeated four times in this psalm, and it is the root of the tension. He, when he says, how long must I wrestle with my thoughts? That word wrestle is an interesting word in the Hebrew here. It literally means uh, what he says here. If you translated it directly from the Hebrew for that word wrestle, it literally says to how long must I have counsel within my own soul? It's this word of counsel. It literally would say, how long must I attempt to make sense of what I am experiencing or feeling? Has anybody ever been there? I think that's all humanity, if we could be honest. When we find ourselves in these crazy places, full of tension, full of pressure, full of anxiety, full of despair, isn't it true our human proclivity is we're trying to make sense out of something that doesn't make sense? He says, how long must I take counsel within my own soul, God? Because we're looking for meaning. If I could just understand why I'm going through this, maybe I can cope with it. Help me understand. And and I'm sure this whole how long narrative, every person in here, one of my one of my professors, uh, my New Testament professors uh, in seminary, uh, one of the most powerful things he taught us on the onset of uh, seminary training is that that we need to remember that we bring as humanity, we bring our own presuppositions to the scriptures, meaning we, we see scripture through the lenses of our own narrative. Right. That, that we help have understanding because we can relate to it or we bring our own understanding. And so for me, if you don't notice, I don't know if you notice this, but I'm black. <laughs> Amen. I've been black for about thirty nine years, give or take. And uh, <laughs> um, as an African-American in this country. A long narrative resonates very personally for me. As I have living uncles who lived through Jim Crow, as I had the privilege of knowing my great grandmother who remembers when she was a sharecropper. When I've had my own experiences wearing my preaching collar three degrees below zero in the city of Chicago, my uh, 15 year old son now who was an infant. And they forced us out of my car made us sit on the side of the road so because we were randomly picked to search the car for drugs. No speeding, no nothing, just DWB, driving while black. So when you have these narratives, this resonates with me. David's lament of how long, Lord, must I suffer? And I think all of Again, I'm not trying to say that we have some type of monopoly on suffering. All of us, through our own experiences, can resonate with this question. How long, Lord? This narrative of how long, interestingly enough, is also found, uh, as it's found here in the first two verses, family, this how long narrative in a psalm is also seen in Babylonian and Egyptian psalms, historically. Making the language here reflect a universal and human lament and not just one exclusive to Israel or the Christian community. Here's what I love about this. David's issue, when he says how long, this is not David just having a church issue. 
But this is a human condition issue because all of us, I don't care if you go to Pine Lake or Radiant or to a mosque or no church at all. At some point, every human being gets to a place where they are in a situation that they have to be honest. They cannot get themselves out of it. And I need God to get me out. What's interesting is the fact that only in the first two verses here we find the heart of the lament and they are in the form of a question. Because if we could be honest, anxiety lives in the realm of the uncertain. We don't know. And there will be seasons and situations we will face that only God can get us out of it. That's why we reach for him. There is this sad misnomer particularly in Western culture that says if we just pull ourselves up by the bootstraps, you can make it. You can do it. But that is a very dangerous formula when you find yourself like David, surrounded by a situation that your ingenuity and your education and your bank account and your zip code has no point of reference of getting you out. That's why we have to reach for him. We have to do what the 121st Psalm reminds us, that we need to look towards the hill when we come with our help. Why? Because all of our help comes from the Lord. And the church said, amen. So whether the situation is personal or even the tensions we find ourselves in as a nation, we need to remember we all need to reach for Jesus. Because only he can shed and guide us, shed light and guide us in how to deal with what we are facing. There's also been things in our nation that has shown the unfortunate realities of when people have their lament and their pain and they reach for the wrong thing. Instead of reaching for Jesus, some people have reached for a gun and taken lives of police officers through our nation. This is why I have to reach for God so that my emotions don't overwhelm me. We have to remember and we have to be awake and understand what is God doing in this season that we need to be aware of. How does the church say we need to be asking the questions, God, in this season? What did it mean that you left it to the church, not the politicians, not my friends, not education, not society, but you left to the church the ministry of reconciliation? And how do we live into that in this moment? These are the questions I ask when I reach for God. And it led us to just last week, our church uh, did this crazy thing that you can do when you're a church plant. Amen. Because most of the people ain't never been in church. So ain't nobody there to say, we ain't never done it like that before. So it's great, right? You can just do all kind of crazy stuff. As long as it's biblically right, you can just do all crazy stuff. Like we said, how about we don't come to church on a Sunday? We take one Sunday and we live into Acts chapter two, where the Bible says they broke bread together and they fellowshiped and they heard one another's stories. And we did our second annual barbecue. We took church out of the building and we rented a space in the park and we did this massive barbecue. And because our church is 35 percent uh, white or Anglo, 35 percent Asian across the board and 30 percent African-American. 
There's a powerful thing about food that seems to bring people together. So we had some soul food and some Asian cuisine. Amen. And we had some hummus and pita bread. Glory to God. It was great to go along with the hamburgers and hot dogs. It was fantastic. And uh, I, I called our chief of police. And said, hey, chief, we just want you to know our church is doing a barbecue and you and the department are invited. We would love to have you come hang out with us. And they showed up and the cops ate everything. (laughs) They're very greedy people. (laughs) Policemen, I don't know. They need to extend the budget. They're not eating right. It was crazy. But they were there and we were breaking bread and it was powerful for them to have an African-American pastor and a multi-ethnic church pray for them and say thank you because we know you put your lives on the line every day. And even though we abhor police brutality, that does not mean we hate police. We love the police. And just like every uh, person in the hood is not bad, every cop is not bad. We're not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Amen. And for them to feel prayed over and to weep and for one officer to say, thank you, my partner, who is not a believer, has never seen a church do anything like this. Now, would you pray for me? Because this barbecue has given me a great opportunity to have a a conversation about the gospel in the squad car. Ministry of reconciliation. When I get back from vacation, we're continuing to work. We're working with our mayor to say, how do we do a march of solidarity with the clergy and the community and the police officers and the civic people are marching from one park to the steps of City Hall to say that we are a community of one. Amen. And the church is in the middle of that. This is the ministry of reconciliation. These are the things that we can see happen when we instead of reaching to our own understanding, we can reach for God to lead us in troubled times. Can the church say amen? Amen. The next thing we need to do is we need to readjust. We need to readjust. After we uh, focus, we need to then readjust. It's in verse 3 that we see the heart to what caused David to readjust and to take another look. He asked God to give light into his eyes. Can I be honest? It's a different situation, right? When you shed God's light on the situation. In other words, when we readjust our sight and see the situation or season in the reality of knowing that God is still with you. Readjust. One of my favorite actors of all time, and I'm praying for his salvation, is Tom Cruise. Amen. From the days of Risky Business and Tap. Was that the movie Tap? He was the army guy or something like that? I don't remember. But I like Tom Cruise. My wife likes Sad Pitt. I mean Brad Pitt. (laughs) Since Legends of the Fall, he had her. Look at all the women saying amen. (laughs) Somebody said hallelujah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That was great. But I like Tom Cruise. He did this movie called Edge of Tomorrow, where it's a typical sci-fi flick 
where, you know, of course, Tom Cruise has the only formula to save the whole world, right? It's one of those kind of movies. The scene is 30 minutes left. They got to defeat these aliens that they never beat before. And of course, it's Tom Cruise and these five guys, and they're supposed to save the whole world, right? That's always the usual story. And he's trying to convince them we can do it, and they're petrified. There's this, there's this also this sister in the movie who is like the poster child of victory. She's been the only person in this army that have defeated these unbeatable aliens. She's been like the literal heartbeat, giving them encouragement, inspiration, right? And they don't see her anywhere. And Tom Cruise is saying, we can do it. And they're like, are you crazy? We can't do it. We can't do it. And they don't realize that Tom Cruise has this sister around the corner. And he brings her in. He says, but wait a minute, we're not doing this by ourselves. We at her. And when she comes in the room, if you see the movie, they went from saying, oh, we can't do it to, OK, yeah, get, let's, let's do it. We can, we can make it happen. Here's my point. When they thought they had to rely on themselves, the situation was overwhelming. But when they saw who was on their side, when they saw who they would be working with, they went from this spirit and this feeling of I, it can't be done to this feeling of we got to do it. And can I encourage us this moment, whether your heart is overwhelmed by the brokenness in our nation or whether your pain has a more personal address dealing with your own home. Can I encourage you? Don't forget, you got somebody on your team. That will help you get through every broken situation you're facing. Is that good news to anybody this morning? Family, if we don't readjust how we see the situation, we will invite the wrong perspective and mindset into our hearts. There's this one commercial that scares the living daylights out of me. It's a vision commercial. I don't know, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God about raccoons and say, really? What was up with that? I, I am petrified of raccoons. So just full disclosure, I think they are from the pit of hell. I can just be honest. Uh, but in this vision commercial, this lady did not have her glasses on. Have you seen this commercial? And she's like, here, kitty, kitty, kitty. And she brings in this raccoon into her house. And I'm literally on my couch like I'm watching a horror movie. I couldn't believe it. That's what happens when we don't readjust our sight. We invite what we think is a good thing into our hearts and into our homes. And it's the wrong thing. We got to readjust. Verse four, David says, God, I need you to give light to my eyes because my enemies will say I've overcome them. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. Readjust family so the season doesn't have to shake you. Let God brighten your eyes so you can remain calm in the midst of chaos. You know, one of the most powerful things Jesus said to Peter was in Luke 22. He's letting them know, hey, I'm going to die. In three days, I'm going to rise again. What's interesting is Peter didn't hear the last part. He just heard the first part. I'm going to die. And the Bible says Peter pulls Jesus to the side and rebukes him. And Jesus was like, get behind me, Satan. Now, you know, that's the last person you won't call you Satan, by the way. That's like, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> There's no way around it. <laughs> but here's what Jesus says. He says, Peter, I'm praying for you because the enemy desires to sift you, to shake you. Like wheat. 
but I am praying for you. There's something very dangerous when we let a situation shake us. We're not seeing clearly. We got to readjust. Lastly, after we uh, rely, after we reach and readjust, then uh, we need to rely. Is that? There we go. We need to rely. We reach for God. We readjust our sight. And like David, we rely on his goodness. In the last two verses, David shifts into praise because after he acknowledged that he needed to reach for God, he then asked God to bring light to his eyes and to take another look at the situation. And then he achieved the peace of mind that God would deliver him. David relied on God's love for him to deliver David of his situation. Verse five, David says, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. That word for love there in the Hebrew is the word hesed. Somebody shout hesed. Hesed is arguably my favorite word in all of the Old Testament. Because hesed is more of an adjective than a noun, because its literal definition is an utterly dependable and relentless love. It is a love that is exclusively attributed to God and how he loves after his people. Hesed is a love that won't let anything stop it from chasing you down. He says, I will trust in your unfailing hesed. My heart rejoiced in your salvation. David was able to do this family, I am convinced, because he had a track record of God's hesed in his life, of God delivering him before. If you know anything about David, his story is so colorful and amazing, filled with highs and filled with lows. Am I right about that? And David, back in the day, so here's David, uh, like I told you, he fought Goliath, you know, he came from like the wrong side of town in Issaquah or something, he was from the hood, you know, Goliath was out there, you know, just, you know, trying to punk the whole army of the Lord, and everybody was shaking in their boots, David had brought them, uh, you know, some Subway lunch, you know, he brought lunch for his brothers, and he sees everybody scared, and he's like, what y'all scared for? And uh, they said, look at that dude over there, he, he killed everybody, and he goes to Saul, and says, you know, who is this guy that would defy the armies of the Lord? Uh, you know, I got my slingshot. Psh, I, I get it in. You know, and Saul said, boy, you crazy. You're 13. You can't do nothing. He'll kill you. This is crazy. Just lead a lunch and go somewhere. He said, no, I can do it, Saul, because there was this lion that tried to take one of my father's sheep and I was able to put him in a figure four leg lock. <laughs> WWE in the building. Amen. <laughs> I beat the lion. He said, then Yogi Bear came and started acting a fool and tried to take another one of my father's sheep and I beat the bear. And he said, the same God who delivered me from the lion, the same God who delivered me from that bear is the same God who will put this Philistine in my hands. And can I encourage us today to, to say, you don't have to go that far back in your life to see God's hesed alive and real in your life. That the same God who kept you in that past situation you thought would have taken you out is the same God that you can rely on in this current crazy 
situation. Can you shout amen? Because that's some good preaching, whether you know it or not. Amen. Woo. We can rely on him. As I prepare to close, don't let the first two verses of your story blind you to the last two verses that you will get to experience. You need to remember that God is sustaining you while you are going through. And so I want to encourage us today. You can come back. No matter how bad or rough the season or situation, I want to encourage you this afternoon to take another look. Family, this is the fruit of the gospel of this rugged cross because in it is the opportunity for us to take another look that this cross reminds us that I am no longer the sum total of my past mistakes, of my shortcomings, of my failures, of my brokenness. But because Jesus hung on this cross, I have tasted and seen that the Lord is good and am able to take another look and see my life no longer in my mess, but in the powerful, reconciling power of God through Jesus Christ on that cross. That we can take another look and see the situation. Woe to anybody facing whether it's my story or your story or as we look at our nation. Woe to anybody who has to suffer that pain and does not have the only true and living God to turn to. To give us strength in the midst of a storm. To let us know that even now in the worst of how we may feel. That he is somewhere sovereignly orchestrating all things to work together for good. And that we may not lean too heavy in our brokenness to not even see that God may be yet calling us to be ministers of reconciliation. To be open to hearing another person's how long narrative. As we expect them to hear our own how long narrative. One of my most favorite scriptures in the Bible is 1 Corinthians 12, 26. Paul is talking about the beauty of the body and how the foot cannot say to the ear, I don't need you. Or the eye to the to the hand, I don't need you. But that we're all members of one body. And in verse 26, he says, if one member suffer, we all suffer together. And if one member rejoices, we rejoice together. You know, the beautiful thing about that, the common thread is together. That I don't dismiss your pain because that's your pain. Or say it's not true because I haven't experienced it. That is not the body. If one member suffers, we all suffer. And if one member is happy, y'all, we're all going to have a party. And celebrate because we're in this thing together. Hallelujah. Last thing I'll say before we pray. And this is the beauty of the gospel. The gospel, when you look at Acts. The start of these churches were were technically multi-ethnic churches. They were these people who are now saying, what does it mean that I 
a Jew am sitting next to a Gentile? What does it mean that I, a man, am sitting next to a woman? What does it mean that I, a master, am sitting next to a slave as brothers and sisters in Christ? We say all the time, uh, multi-ethnic churches were not only the, re, uh, the, uh, the result of the gospel, they were the reason why people believed the gospel. Because they knew no human ingenuity can make that happen. That's the beauty, family, we have in the cross, that it brings us together in a lot of different ways, in a lot of different contexts. I'm not saying it's cookie cutter. But what is a common denominator is how do we be on this Christian journey together and how do we take advantage of this time and this season we are living today to show the world what Christ-centered reconciliation looks like? Because whether the world wants to admit it or not, it is broken. And it is just waiting for the church, I believe, to show them what reconciliation, unity and healing can look like only through the blood of Jesus Christ. And the church said, amen. Amen. Would you please pray with me? Gracious God, we are so grateful that before we could even fathom loving you, you loved us. Your word tells us that while we were yet sinners, you died for us on that cross. Father God, our world is so broken on so many fronts. Would you awaken us as your disciples, as the ones you entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation to be light in a broken and dark world? Help us as we face our own personal how long narratives in our lives. May every person under the sound of my voice be encouraged and reminded that you have not forsaken them. That all of this will work somehow to your glory and for their good. Help us to remember to reach for you. To readjust how we see the situations in our lives. And to rely on you And in the midst of the pain, still offer the praise that you deserve and the worship that only you warrant. And Lord God, above all, help us to be advocates to the marginalized. Help us to be ministers of reconciliation. Because you said this is how the world will know that you were sent and that you sent us out by the love we show one another. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.